Hi, welcome to Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be breaking down the new superhero satire, Ryan Reynolds-driven comedy romp, Deadpool 2, and looking at HBO's next turn at textbook adaptation with Fahrenheit 451. But first, the news. MoviePass competitor Cinemia, I think that's how you say it, unveils a new two-ticket subscription plan for couples and friends. Andy, you found this early last week. Do you mind getting into the details on it? Yeah, no problem. So we've heard lots about MoviePass in the, in the last year, and some other uh, theaters have brought brought their own subscription service. Um, I know Cinemark has one. I think Regal and AMC is talking about releasing some sort of subscription service. And uh, this is the first that I've seen of something that, that's really pretty solid. Um, so the way it differs from uh, something like MoviePass is that with Cinemia uh, and their more recent um promotion is tickets for two so you pay whatever the subscription is and then you get either two to three movies and you can bring a friend so it's it's not as cheap as it is compared to movie pass you can't see you know a movie a day you only get two or three but it's still like a 50 percent discount so if you go to two movies then that what would normally cost you maybe forty dollars only cost you twenty Right. You're buying by by package here. You're buying one movie day for two people per month for $10 or two movie days for two people per month for 14. Like so it's not unlimited. That's right. the deal. You're buying like package deals, but you're still saving money. Yeah, and it's much more realistic. I mean, even if you could go see 10 movies a month, most people don't. They don't have that kind of time. Um some other things I like about this plan particularly is that you can do um, advanced purchasing, you can do buy online, you can do reserve seating, you can do 3D and IMAX. And that's one of the big reasons I did not get MoviePass was because I couldn't do any of those advanced online purchases. Right. MoviePass is deceptively simple and it's like package approach. And that, yeah, you're getting very basic access to movie theaters. You're not going to get anything cool. You're not going to get premium kind of packages. It's going to be the basic bargain basement kind of price. So... Um, for what it's worth, do you think this is more or less viable than what MoviePass is doing? It's definitely more viable, and I think this has actually been around for a while. It's just kind of been under the radar because it's not like a lucrative price point. Um, but like I said, it's more sustainable. They're not losing money hand over fist. I mean, there's a lot of talk that MoviePass may not survive the summer. You know, its stock has dropped from $32 to under a dollar. It's like 79 cents since October. Yeah, I'm interested to see um, what does happen to MoviePass, and we'll, of course, report on it on this show. But before we get into that, yeah, I think it's important to talk about kind of the impact MoviePass has left. Clearly, the titans of, of kind of film distribution in America are, are, are glomming onto this idea. People seem to like it. The idea of a subscription-based movie ticket model is something that MoviePass kind of introduced and theaters are starting to pick up and run with. And Cinemia, I think, is making a stride towards finding an approach that works better than what MoviePass is doing. Um, but it's interesting. MoviePass has, has clearly changed the game for better or worse. Yes, and it's not just MoviePass. It's the subscription economy that we live in, the sharing economy that we live in. You know, similar things to Uber or Airbnb or Blue Apron. Mm. It's these all these cheaper services that are subsidized in, in other ways and just get users uh, to the table. So it's part of a larger economic movement, and someone's applied it to film, and it'll be interested to see how it goes. 
Yeah. Once again, we've we've talked about Movie Pass a lot on this show, but we'll we'll keep track of it. Yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on it because it is it is intriguing to see what uh, what's coming around the corner. Our next story, uh, Universal's Dark Universe, uh, is not quite dead just yet. <laughs> what does this mean? Okay, so um, there was a, a post by artist uh, Robert Vargas um, who had met with the Dark Universe team, and he made a post uh, that said he was looking forward to contributing to the Universal Pictures legacy. Um, and there's a picture of him standing in front of the classic uh, Dracula picture yeah. uh, movie poster. Uh, now, for those of our listeners um, who aren't familiar with this movement, uh, Universal has attempted to start their own cinematic universe called the Dark Universe, which revolves around classic uh, monster figures from monster movies, things like Dracula, the mummy, the invisible man. Um, They have only, well, (laughs) let me back up. They've attempted to do start this three times, three times, three times. I forgot about one. I went last time we talked about this. So the wolf man with, uh, so that was, uh, I think more along the horror side, that was a big failure. Then they tried to start it again with, um, Dracula untold. And then more recently and more officially in within the dark universe, uh, the mummy, uh, with Tom's crew with Tom Cruise. And these are all very different movies. Like the, the Wolfman was horror. I'm not real sure about Dracula untold, but then the mummy was an action vehicle for Tom Cruise. And they, they all failed. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and the, they're trying to get this off the ground. They want to make the tons of money that they see Marvel making with the MCU. And so they're trying to do this horror verse, which in theory actually sounds really cool. Like a, I could get on board with like a spooky verse. Like, mm-hmm. I think that that would be really cool. But it seemed like it was dead in the water, but it but it seems like maybe they're um, still going to keep going. Yeah. Well, this is kind of all we've heard about it in a while i guess they they pulled the plug on the bride of frankenstein movie that's supposed to be next right yes and that's been since swept under the rug it's it's weird man like i i genuinely like i i wish the dark universe would be more of a thing because it truly has potential like they have incredible properties uh, under their belt that they could do things with and they seem to just keep missing the ball like they can't they can't get a bat on it they can't hit this thing and it bums me out because, like, if I think I think there really is potential for for them to do something cool, and they just can't, they can't get it right. Yeah, and and if you look, if you take a step back and look at the big picture, it does look it could be a really cool thing. You do all these individual movies mm-hmm. with Bride of Frankenstein, Dracula, the Mummy, whatever, and then you put them all in the same movie, and you get essentially the Avengers or yeah, Infinity War version of of scary movies yeah and it's weird because i remember seeing an an ad for something like this a long time ago and somebody said you know universal's monster movies were like the original the original cinematic universe like in a way it's true yeah they all crossed over you'd have the mummy and frankenstein together in a movie and then abbott and costello running around like there was definitely some crossover there the creature from the black lagoon would show up and like that was cool back then obviously it doesn't work so well now but like there's certainly potential to turn it into something interesting I just wish they'd embrace it in a more um, kind of bolder direction, I guess. They need to stop trying to, to make it mainstream. Stop trying to make it so every family can bring their kid to it and they'll like it. Like, give it an identity. Make it its own thing. Hard or horror. Hard or <laughs> horror. That's right. Did, uh, 20th Century Fox did it with New Mutants, and now we haven't seen anything. And clearly, they're trying to back out of it. But I'm telling you, there's there's an, there's an audience there. I'd, I'd be into that. I think one of the big differences between the MCU and other 
attempts at cinematic universes is that Marvel has a huge plan. You know, we have all heard of their phase one, two, and three, and each phase had, okay, these four or five movies, this is what we're doing, this is the order, and then we move on to the next. And the other ones, like DC, or in this case, um, the Dark Universe, they're very reactionary. You know, if the first film fails, oh no, we gotta readjust, we gotta do everything different. And Mm -hmm. it's, you gotta, I think you gotta make a plan and you gotta stick to it. Right, you gotta figure out your your kind of approach and you gotta, you gotta know people want it. Like, yeah, this 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 nonsense with the mummy. It was it was like Mission Impossible plus Mummy Impossible. The Mummy, yeah, and like it didn't it didn't work. People didn't want that. Like the the bean counters and and, and we're looking at spreadsheets in the, the back offices. Yeah, they thought it they thought it worked, but turns out they don't know everything. Um, yeah, I wish they just go for something and stick with it and go for something that's going to work. And I know that's easy for me to say being an, an armchair expert here, as I'm going to call myself, but. I, I don't know. There's got to be a better approach. Speaking of approaches uh, and doing something different in media, the Obamas are getting into the movie making business, teaming up with Netflix on a multi-year deal. This was announced today as we are recording this. Uh, Netflix announced via Twitter, President Barack Obama and Michelle Obama have entered into a multi-year agreement to produce films and series for Netflix, potentially including, and this is quite the list, scripted series, unscripted series, docu-series, documentaries, and features. When asked for comment, a Netflix spokeswoman said there are no additional details immediately available about this deal. So what are we looking at here? Yeah, that, that seems to be a very wide net. Yeah, well, it it's pretty interesting because after a president retires, you know, you get, you know, some things that they normally do. Like you get the presidential library, you get their book deals that that you know that kind of go after and they they tour around the country and so now the obamas have are getting into the movie making business um which is a really i think fun and interesting step um it seems like they just have carte blanche like they can make literally whatever they want and i mean i have no idea what direction they want to do i think the inclusion of things like docuseries and documentaries maybe uh you know it'll focus on more real world issues or problems or things they want to bring to light um, but it'll be really interesting to to see what kind of films they want to make. Yeah, this this article mentions that to the Obamas, it's important uh, that telling stories is a good way to kind of convey information and help make the world a better place, which is something they seem to be consistently working towards, a, a, a finish line that they're always running towards, I guess. Um, it's weird that there are no details on what they're going to be making, what it might be like. I mean, even the, even the tweet is inherently um vague uh, yeah obfuscated like they don't really know yet but what is interesting is that they've got this multi multi year multi gig deal worked out apparently this is something they're going to try to do for a while whatever it is they have planned i would think at this point they have to have something there's no way netflix just came to them and said anything you want to make we'll do it they had to have had some kind of like here's a here's a rundown of the first few projects, right? Some kind right. of weather report for what's coming over the horizon. We just don't have it yet, right? That would make sense. Yeah, yeah. Do you think we'll see the president direct a film <laughs> directed by Barack um, Obama? That'd be cool. That really would. <laughs> I mean it. Like if 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 come on, if George W. can retire and go into painting, which personally i think he's terrible at like why couldn't obama direct a movie like has i don't think a former president ever has i mean it's got to be easier than being president right <laughs> it's got to be <laughs> it's, um i mean it's you know it's it's i think there's a lot of parallels you know you got to make tough decisions got to direct people and uh kind of create a vision yeah i i do think it's intriguing i mentioned this earlier um 
looking at the last thing Obama was involved in, the only thing Obama's been involved with, with regards to Netflix is the first episode of my la- my next guest needs no introduction with David Letterman. He was the first right. guest on that show a few months back. I I can't help but think Netflix had to have looked at those numbers and thought, yeah, there's something here. I mean, sure, David Letterman bumps those up a little bit, but like clearly people on Netflix aren't averse to watching something with Barack Obama in it. Right. And that means something. Yeah, like that there's there there's a good little you can wade into the water a little bit and see if people are interested, but that's yeah, I'm, I'm really now. interested in that now. I think I might go back and watch that episode yeah. um, that he's on there just so I can kind of get a feel what his TV personality would be like. Yeah, it's funny. Somebody asked me about that earlier, and it's not a this is not a television podcast traditionally, but very quickly. I've only, I've only watched the first episode. Good, but you can't really be on your phone. You kind of got to pay attention. So if you're, looking for, <laughs> if you're looking for something to just throw on in the background, maybe something else. But for what it's worth, the first episode is kind of interesting. So yeah. Anyway, we should move on to our first movie of this episode. Andy, you have graciously agreed to take the intro for this. Do you want to uh, kick us off, please? Deadpool 2. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. I'm rocking my feet. Putting suckers and fear. Making the tears rain down like a monsoon. Listen to the bass storm. Is the new uh, David Leach film, film um, which follows the first Deadpool from uh, about a year and a half ago. Strange thing before I get into the summary, uh, David Leach is primarily known as a stuntman. Mm. Like when I was looking up his, you know, his IMDb page, all his stunt credits come up first, and then his uh, his directing things are actually uh, lower down the bottom. Now he did more recently direct uh, Atomic Blonde, and he's doing um, a couple of uh, video game adaptations that are coming up soon. Anyways, Deadpool two doesn't really have a whole lot of story uh (laughs) the plot's pretty thin so it starts deadpool has to protect uh this kind of young and vulnerable impressionable kid played by uh, julian dennison who was brilliant in hunt for the wilder people um he's he's a young mutant he's very powerful uh, he's very angry and so deadpool's trying to you know kind of guide him but he's also being chased by cable who is played by josh brolin who's come from the future to kill this kid because he does something that affects uh the future and deadpool and uh the x-force that he kind of puts together to try to stop him and that's pretty much it there's not really too much more to the film what did you think i i think this, this is an important place to start this conversation i enjoyed deadpool 2 but that doesn't mean deadpool 2 was good <laughs> that's that's an important important place to start on. Just because I liked it does not necessarily mean it's a good movie. It's got problems. Personally, I enjoyed it. I struggled with the first one. I, I've watched it a few times, and for some reason, I just couldn't really get into it. But this one, like, it was a surprisingly easier pill to swallow. And I don't know if it just hit me at a different time in my life or what it is. But I've got a couple theories, and I want to dig into it. What do you? What did you think? So I just thought it was kind of okay i really did like the the first deadpool it really caught me off guard and you know it was essentially the first rated r um you know heavy really violent really crass humor and i mean i was dying laughing in the first one and i think maybe a lot of stuff was just new like the fourth the stuff that breaks the fourth wall and a lot of the meta um references were very new the first time and so you know you didn't expect them you they kind of catch you off guard but since you've already seen it once when it comes back around it's just not quite as effective right let's start with the plot i i think i was more easily able to kind of connect this movie because it doesn't do the origin story the first one does 
And from what I know of Deadpool, from what I've read in the comics, like he, I never read the Deadpool origin story. It, it, it always kind of seemed innocuous. It never really mattered. You just kind of had this shows up. Yeah. The Merc with the mouth kind of character blowing through scenes and talking to the camera through panels. And, and like, it's, it's meta and different. And like, it's this weird kind of satire on the superhero genre that I really enjoyed. And the first one has to play a fair bit of it straight in order to get the origin story across in order to kind of get him to be the Merc with the mouth that, you know, this one, it just starts. It's, it's like a, I don't know. It's, it's like an X-Men movie after the first one. Like it's almost, it's almost this nice little singled off romp through Deadpool's universe. And like, I enjoyed that. Like it felt kind of like its own thing. It didn't feel like it had to answer any questions really. It didn't feel like it had to meet any quotas. Um, it just kind of felt like its own fun little movie. And, and I, and I, I liked that. What did you think? I think for me, it started to kind of feel like a family guy episode because it would be <laughs> like, you know, this, 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 that pop culture reference. So this, 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 that pop culture reference is yeah. kind of over and over. It ref, it's very self referential, which is expected, but it also, you know, it refers to the DC universe, to the MCU, to star Wars, to lots of pop culture properties. And, yeah, it it literally just made me think like this is Family Guy, and it wasn't like particularly funny or clever. Now it it all depends on people's reaction because the guy next to me was dying, love laughter. <laughs> like he, I mean, I thought I was gonna have to like you know call the, the paramedics because he would yeah. just he would start laughing and then we just stop breathing because he was laughing so hard. Yeah, I had a couple people in my theater that were just guffawing their whole way through the movie, and like it wasn't so bad towards like the middle and the end but god at the beginning it was just loud and obnoxious like good lord like can you control you like you're not laughing for the room all right you're laughing for yourself like don't it's not a performance relax but different strokes for different folks i guess i did think a lot of the comedy um you know this is an important kind of note you take a lot of swings at the ball some of them you're gonna hit like so you're gonna you're gonna land some good jokes and, and that's where i was i got a lot of chuckles few laughs out of me um, but at the same time, a lot of it missed. There were a yeah. lot of jokes in there that I, I was just like, mm, okay, <laughs> you kind of just grin and grin and bear it and move on to the next one and, and hope the next one will, will, will kind of stick. And a lot of it was spoiled. I felt like by trailers, a lot of the ones that sure. probably would have been funnier, like I had already seen. So it kind of didn't land, um, which is a problem because that's kind of the bread and butter of this movie. Yeah, wh one quote I heard uh, from Mark Kermode, who we refer to a lot, he said, they spent twice as much money and it was half as funny. <laughs> And that's kind of how I felt. I, I felt like, uh, you know, there's just as many fun jokes, but I just they're not landing. And, you know, even though they spend more money, that doesn't necessarily make it funnier. That just means you can spend more on, you know, your cast or your special effects or your costumes or whatever else. But it's hard to make the comedy better through money alone. They definitely spent more on the cast. And I wanted to talk about that. They kind of expanded out from what we already knew from the first film. You've got the girlfriend, you've got the old lady that he kind of pals around with, which is weird. And I, I didn't really remember her, but she's in this movie. You've got TJ Miller's character. Who's this weird CD crime related dude. Um, that I forget his name. And then you've got Deadpool and they kind of add on to that. They, they build that out a little bit. You've got those characters that you kind of remember. You've also got new ones, um, particularly enjoyable performances by Josh Brolin as cable, who along with Thanos and Sicario day, the Soldado coming out this year. Like he's got Josh Brolin, man. Yeah. He's, he's got some good stuff going on. Also, you've got the character of Domino played by a girl. I can't remember her uh, name. Zazie beats. She was great. 
Yeah. Yeah, she was really cool. Really awesome. Like, really, really good character, really well played. And that's one of the things I wanted to touch on is the whole thing seems like the Deadpool show and none of the other characters are really kind of developed or you get into them. I mean, Cable, you do a little bit, but it's it's really pretty minimal. And I do want to touch on Josh Brolin has an excellent fade in this movie. <laughs> As a fade connoisseur, okay, he All has right. an excellent fade. Yeah, those of you listening to the audio podcast, he's got a solid haircut. That's what that's what he's saying. If you're not sure what fade means, <laughs> it is good. I'll be fair; it's good high and tight. But I, I did think they they did leave characters a little underdeveloped, almost almost to a fault. I mean, they they straight up made fun of it at one point when they yeah. they <laughs> straight murdered a handful of characters in classic Deadpool fashion. That seemed like they were going somewhere and then didn't. It's, good, it's a good joke. It's a good, good, funny play, um, but it didn't really go anywhere. One, one character that I did struggle with, which is where the writing really hung up for me, was the the kid. What was his name? Julian Dennison. Julian Dennison. Like he, he he garners this relationship with with Deadpool, and it's just so forced and contrived. It's like, oh, of course. Ryan Reynolds' character has to get along with this kid, and of course they have to bond. It just did not. It just felt out of character. Yeah, there's a number of forced relationships in yeah, this movie that, that wouldn't fit. Like it just wouldn't work otherwise. But they have to work for the sake of the movie. And like I kept waiting, I kept waiting for the gag because because Deadpool does that. There's a couple jokes about the writing in the movie or like a cheap effect or something, and I kept waiting for some kind of meta. Like, we know this, you know, a, 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 a nod and a wink at the camera. We know this is stupid, but this is the way it's got to be. You know, just like some kind of in on the joke, but they actually played that part straight, and I wish they hadn't. I wish they had kind of taken more liberties that way. But it can't all be jokes. There have to be parts that are played straight, and the parts that are for Ryan Reynolds are the parts that, to me, were the worst part of the movie. Yeah. When they're trying to be, yeah, honest or, like, straightforward about something, it's like, this is the, this is the worst part. The best part is when he's wearing the outfit and saying stupid things um at least for me that those are those are my favorite parts of the movie and like i said all the the budget it just adds to the action sequences which are excellent you get really good fight scenes they're really violent you get some really cool effects with with cable and you know he's got this metal arm and cybernetic guy yeah um got these big guns so you do get some you know those action sequence are really well kind of developed and played out. Yeah, you get good fight scenes. You get some great set pieces. The whole uh, opening intro to the movie, which is is, is set to... Uh, well, I almost, I almost don't want to give away the song it's set to, but you'll see what I mean. There's a lot of really cool stuff in there. Very comic book-esque scenes of, like, Deadpool just fighting through generic kind of montage uh, scenes of, of, of bloodshed. Um, really cool stuff. Like and there's there's a lot that's just on screen for a few seconds and then they move on to something else and it's almost a shame because it feels like they could have done more with it and in a way it kind of feels like trailer bait but for what it's worth like I did really enjoy it but Mark Kermode's review kind of rings true it's like double the budget for half the laughs um, <laughs> or at least in most people's cases for me it was more laughs but I like I said I didn't really get the first one so maybe I'm just an anomaly but. Uh, do you have any other thoughts before we move on to final recommendations? No, I'm ready to move on. All right. Andy, would you recommend Deadpool 2? So this is a tough one. I think if you're a big fan of the first movie and you're a big comic book fan, you're probably going to enjoy it because, like I said, there's lots of references to comics and other pop culture properties um, that if you're into that, you're going to get, and it's a lot of it is pretty clever, and you're probably going to laugh. Um, if you are suffering from <laughs> superhero fatigue, like many of us are, yeah, I'd probably skip it. You know, I think 
I don't want to say I'm in the same camp, but I'm, I'm in one that's very nearby. I think this movie really appealed to me because I was so jaded going into Infinity War, which is actually part of the reason I enjoyed it. But I've been so jaded on superhero movies lately, and, and Deadpool is one of the only ones that can that can look at a superhero movie and, and kind of call it what it is, and I appreciate it. But at the same time, it still has to follow that formula. It still has to be a superhero movie, and it can have just as many weaknesses as it's willing to point out uh, from its predecessors. So would I recommend it? Yes. Would I say it's worth like grabbing your significant other and, and go to the movies and blowing a bunch on popcorn for? Maybe not. Like if you, if you weren't really into the first one, it may not be for you. Um, it might be worth waiting until it shows up on Netflix or, or Amazon or HBO or what have you, uh, Redbox in it. But I, I mean, if you got some, if you if you have an afternoon and nothing to do, if you if you're kind of curious, if you've watched the trailers and got a few laughs, yeah, it, it might be your movie. So my guess, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, a very tentative. Yes, I suppose it's very entertaining. It is certainly entertaining. And with that, we should move on to our next segment. Uh, I guess I'm going to take the first one. So I, sh- so I should open it. Or do you want to do it? Welcome to the trailer park. <laughs> Yes, the trailer park. And our first trailer is the new Spike Lee joint, Black Klansman. God bless white America. And I don't think I pronounced that quite right, but I don't know how else to do it. No, I think I think that's correct. <laughs> Black Klansman. There's three Ks there. <laughs> Black Klansman. Uh, Black Klansman is the story of a, I think a, a based on a true story, yeah. right? Uh, set in Chicago in the 70s, a young black police officer sets out to infiltrate the KKK uh, through a series of, I don't want to say shenanigans, essentially uh, disguises and a surrogate uh, police officer played by Adam Driver. Um, looks like a comedy, right? That's right. what that's what they're going for, like a, like a crime comedy. <laughs> a good old racial comedy. Good old racial comedy from spike lee yes um what do you think of this movie andy well you know it's one of these things that's got an absurd premise that is apparently based on a true story it hits things a little bit on the nose i know that spike lee is very aware of racial division within the movie industry within america he's made things like do the right thing chirac you know these things that very have not heavy-handedly but very directly take on these racial issues and so this is in that same vein um it does look very funny it's very absurd uh, but i worry it's going to turn a lot of audiences off and i th- i think if you want to talk about these important issues you have to be very careful not to have people just av- want to avoid your movie right see i kind of land in the same camp but at the same time not <laughs> i think spike lee he's a he's a tough director for me to kind of get into into his head because a lot of his movies are slanted towards an audience that I'm not necessarily always a part of. Uh, he's been calling his movies joints since like the late 90s, maybe even early 90s, um, which personally is a very outdated kind of thing. And I think not only is his, is his kind of name scheme of his movies outdated, but I think his approaches, which seems to be reflected in this. A lot of Spike Lee movies I come to know as being primarily black cast for pl- primarily black audience. This one blurs the lines. This one has a little bit of both, and it's it's approaching white audiences um, through the kind of lens of Adam Driver playing a white cop infiltrating the KKK with the help of a black cop and also 
the KKK. <laughs> so it's certainly trying to do something in a arguably divisive time in America. It's certainly trying to make a statement. But from the trailer, I have trouble seeing what that is. But it does look funny, right? It does. Yeah. It, yeah, it looks like a funny, funny movie. So I will probably end up covering it on this show, right? Yeah. Are uh, you interested in seeing it? That would be the next question. I, I yeah, I, I think I am. Yes. If we're if we're talking about seeing it for the show and having a very, very testy segment of a conversation about it without hopefully stepping on toes accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. I am interested in seeing it. I'd like to have a conversation about it. What do you think? Yeah. Same here. All right. Well, you're you're up next, man. All right. So the the, the next film we're gonna try. Sorry, trailer that we're gonna look no, at. No. It's called The House That Jack Built. Oops. Oh, this may be a mistake. What was maybe a mistake? Me getting in this car with you. You might as well be a serial killer. Sorry, but you do kind of look like one. Um, and this is the latest film by Lars von Trier, who's previously done uh, things like Antichrist and Nymphomaniac, which is, a, I think, the most recent film he made a couple of years ago, starring uh, Charlotte Gainsborough. Nymphomaniac parts one and two, right? Parts one and two, yeah, yeah. Um, which was on Netflix for a while. Two extended versions, which totaled, I think, five hours. Um, I watched both of these and actually did, was not bored uh, through the whole whole thing. Really? Uh, surprisingly, oh, yeah. Wow. It's it's some really it, it. He makes some very intense and kind of visceral films. Uh, I can tell you Nymphomaniac is about, you know, a woman who's a sex addict and it kind of chronicles her life, you know, f across like 20 years in her sex addiction and how it defines her life and ruins her life. And it does not shy away from the graphicness of that subject. And so the house that Jack built is similar. So it's about a serial killer played by Matt Dillon, who is a serial killer <laughs> and also stars uh, Uma Thurman. And I think the film just kind of chronicles his life as well. Um, but from the trailer, it looks extremely violent, very gory, very graphic. Um, I heard that at Cannes, people got up and left. But I also <laughs> heard that people gave it a standing ovation. So yeah. you never know what to think. Whenever people say that, or whenever I hear that people got up and left, that's always a gotta see. Right. Whatever's going on there, I want to be a part of it. Yeah. The trailer's obscure. Right. It, it doesn't, it's not like, here's exactly the plot. Like, that's not how a Lars von Trier trailer works. Like, it's it's very much like set to classical music and kind of a montage of images. And you got to kind of figure out for yourself if it's something interesting saying, you're right. Ultraviolence seems to be a front runner here. Um, also, it looks like a really cool performance by Matt Dillon. So. Yeah. I mean, like the, the other film that I have seen of his, it's very much about the character. It's a character study. So it's not just, you know, a slasher it's it looks like um oh what's the what's the christian bale american psycho yeah it looks like american psycho for the art house right even more art house than american psycho is supposed to be that's exactly what i was thinking when we watched it before yeah it's got that classical music it's kind of got like this nice crisp robust font it looks like it's the upper echelon of society where things are kind of going on here and it looks like this character that's played by matt dillon i would assume his name jack um and then the movie's about the, quote, house that he built, uh, it looks like he had, suffers no consequences, like, for, for what happens. Um, and that's that's intriguing to me. Like, that's one of those things that I, I love about film, to be able to take a situation in which normally a person would suffer consequences for and take those away and see how they would act when they don't have, when nothing bad can befall them for, for what they do. Um, it's interesting to me. So... 
for what it's worth, I'm super interested in it. What do you think? Yeah, I'm definitely interested in seeing it too. Yeah, I'm hoping it's not a three and a half hour epic of ultra violence. That that would be a little much. But uh, moving away from the violence, our next trailer is for a little movie called Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody, as far as I can tell, is the story of Queen. Yes, the band, and more specifically, Freddie Mercury. But I think the trailer might be a, mis a little misleading this way. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was, or is, I should say, slated to be a biopic about the band leading up to their 1976 Live Aid concert, which is their most most notable concert queen's biggest event that's the most youtube views that's the most album sales like that is that was their biggest thing and freddie mercury was alive during that time and originally when they had talked about doing this movie back when sacha baron cohen was slated to be a part of it freddie was not supposed to make it to the end of the movie so some things have changed we've got a new star rami malik who looks to be filling the role very well for what it's worth um, you've got kind of a new plot in a way. Like the, the trailer specifically has a line in there that says it's kind of following Freddie's story, but I think it's supposed to be more about the band. So it looks a little disjointed in what exactly it's aiming for, but it does look like a really cool music biopic, which I haven't seen a good one in a while. Yeah. They've kind of become played out and very cliche. I, I heard this funny quote once that, that said, you know, why are all these biopics? all the same and it's like well these people keep leading the same life <laughs> again and again um I, yeah i think it looks great i'm a big uh, fan of queen and and freddie who's no longer with us right um so i'm i'm really looking forward to it it the music in the trailer just you know i really love and i i'm it's coming out right during oscar season so yeah i think it's gonna be a, a big deal and i'm definitely looking forward to it i love like the, the one of the music um, biopic, I would say biopic, uh, biopic, I, I can compare it to that I'm really familiar with is Oliver Stone's The Doors, which I think that movie's so cool. And like, I love so much of what this movie's doing in regards to that. It's got the music, it's got the look, like everything in it looks very like 70s and vintage, and that's cool. They've got the hair. Like, it just looks like this really fun little romp through something that's based on a true story. Now, I don't think it's going to lean so heavily into a lot of the stuff that the Doors movie did, because the Doors movie kind of focused around Jim Morrison and a lot of his problems with drugs and alcohol, and I thought that was cool. Like, that was a peek behind the curtain. I don't know if this movie's going to do that. This looks very, like, PG. Like, it looks very family-friendly. And yeah. I'm sure it's not because they're a British rock band. Like, I, I doubt it can be that PG. But it just it looks a little, little cleaned up. And, like, it's okay. That, that's that's cool. But, like, I I enjoy, like I said with the house that Jack built, I enjoy that that, like, that undertone of something more, something that we can't normally get in society. Being a rock star is cool, but getting away with the things rock stars get away with, that's what's interesting to me. And I hope this movie has that. Yeah, like we'd love to see the warts and all version. And, and exactly. I don't think it's going to be that. Yes. Uh, are you interested in seeing it? Absolutely. Me too. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's got potential, and I, I hope it's really cool. 
All right, next we have the Happy Time Murders. Someone out there <gasps> is killing puppets. Hey, handsome. You looking for some rotten cotton? I'm a woman. That's okay. Yeah, that's even you better. Got a good time for you. <laughs> and this is the the new summer comedy starring uh, Melissa McCarthy and a puppet. A yes, puppet. I said that right. Yeah. And uh, so this actually reminds me a, lo a lot of Bright, um, but it's this what looks like kind of Sesame Street world, um, except it's very adult. It's it's a hard R comedy. Um, you know, in the trailer, there's bums. There's Pro, like puppet prostitutes it's you know it's one of these things that's taken a, a child's thing and made it uh into an, an adult uh film not that kind of adult film but, right but you know Almost, it, 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 yeah well yeah. it so anyways it's a comedy it's it, they play these police people and they're hunting down there's uh, a murderer killing puppets and that's pretty much all there is there's lots of really crude lewd humor puppet violence yeah and, uh, yeah, it looks like something else. Zach, what do you think? This movie kind of bums me out <laughs> for a couple reasons um, before I get to Melissa McCarthy. One, because it's directed by Brian Henson, the son of Jim Henson, who also directed what I believe to be the greatest interpretation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Uh, he directed him up as Christmas Carol. Yes. Um, genuinely a cool movie, and I mean that. That movie pulls off a lot of forced perspective it pulls out what I think is a great, great performance by, oh my God, I can't remember his name. Michael Caine. That's it. Yeah. I was going to say. <laughs> and it's super dark. Say. It is very dark. Um, they add a couple characters to the adaptation of A Christmas Carol to make it work. It's got comedy. Like, it's genuinely a cool movie. I mean that. Um, and, and a cool adaptation. This reminds me of something like Avenue Q and that's trying to adapt kind of darker story, but like I it doesn't need it doesn't necessarily have to have Muppets characters to work, but because it's got these arbitrary puppets, I'm like, I don't like <laughs> it's kind of just trying to be funny for the sake of trying to be funny, and that bums me out. And I, I I don't really see any kind of like really sense of direction like that adaptation had, given this is an original story. But the other part of this that concerns me is Melissa McCarthy. I don't want to say doing a goofy, gimmicky movie like this is is kind of a death rattle for somebody's career, but it's concerning. Like she's reminding me of Will Ferrell right now. A little bit, yeah. And it's like I don't really see anybody else big in this movie uh, outside of like Joel McHale. Um, it's a little concerning. Yeah, it's like you're doing a. a puppet movie a comedy that cool you know like that's that's what's going on with you and yeah I she's kind of like throwing out a bunch of these mediocre comedies at the moment yeah well she's also she also has can you ever forgive me which i'm eerily skeptical of but um yeah i sorry I'm, I'm talking way too much about this but what i'm saying is i'm a little concerned i i didn't watch this trailer and think this looks funny i watched it and was like oh god <laughs> what, what is this and it's got a little bit of that shock humor in the trailer that's that's a little bit what it's going for, right? Yeah, d definitely. And it's, yeah, I'm d I'm not interested in seeing this at all. <laughs> I mean, I, I like, I want to say I'm a little interested. I do. It's the guy that made Muppet Christmas Carol, for God's sake. Like, it, it could be great and like R-rated, you know, puppet comedy. Like, that's kind of funny. But like, 
Yeah, I watched this trailer and was just underwhelmed. Um, so if we're talking about doing it for the show, maybe. At least it's a little gimmicky. It's more than like Melissa McCarthy's life of the party, which is mom goes to college with the kiddos. Like, at least it's got some kind of angle, but I don't know if it's enough to kind of keep me, to get me to buy a ticket. Yeah, I'm not interested in like adult Sesame Street. Yeah, uh, if I was, I'd and it's go, already I'd go, been done. Yeah, if I was, I'd go see an award-winning play, like which it, well, I'm pretty sure won a Tony or something. So I don't know. The last trailer we have for this week's trailer park is Mowgli. You only heard stories about the jungle. I lived in the king's palace in a cage just like this. I bit and I scratched. And I spent my entire life fighting. Until one day, I just stopped. And I gained their trust. Gained their trust, little brother. A trailer uh, for a film directed by Andy Serkis out of Warner Brothers. This is interesting because this is Andy Serkis' interpretation of The Jungle Book, which for those of you with short-term memory loss uh, may have forgotten. Had an adaptation by Disney, live action that came out in 2016. This is a live action Warner Brothers adaptation coming out in... God, is this supposed to come out this 20, year? Yeah, 2018. Okay, 2018. Oh, they got that going for them. Um, they're second to market on this, which is a problem. But to get into it, uh, Mowgli is the story of a young man named Mowgli who's raised by wolves. Uh, is discovered to be a human by a tiger named Shere Khan and has to travel to a human village to live amongst the humans to be safe from the animals so that he doesn't get eaten by said tiger Shere Khan. With the help of his animal friends, hopefully he'll make it. That's the story of the Jungle Book. That's the story of Mowgli. What's different about this? What, what, what is, what's different than what we saw two years ago? Well, it looks like a much darker take. Honestly, it looks like a a little bit more savage film. Uh, the first one is very uplifting, very positive, very much about like family and, and friends. And it's just visually a lighter movie. Uh, yeah. um, and this looks real dark. You you get some really great voiceover by uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and Kate Blanchett uh, and Andy Serkis as well. Um, and I mean, it, it just looks like a more dangerous movie. Um, and, it, and it looks cool. The animation does not look as good as the previous film. Yeah, that 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 is a place where this hurts and along with that just trying to get people to go see it like I, I i can't help but look at this trailer and roll my eyes because it's like man everybody knows the story of the jungle book everybody knows it we know everybody knows it because it's been made into a film like eight times they made a disney movie way back in the day that everybody saw then they made this one in 2016 that got great box office numbers a lot of people went and saw it and now it's coming out again. And even though it's from a different studio, it's like, man, you got to get people to sit down and watch the same movie twice, essentially. I know it's a darker version, but like outside of the songs that are going to be missing and like the cute appearance by Bill Murray, like what else are they, are they going to do that's all that different? Like I said, the animation's worse. Yeah. And I think one of the things that helps the, the Jean Favreau movie from two years ago was that it's a Disney property made in the Disney style the same way that they're remaking all their other properties Cinderella Aladdin the Lion King all, all those old classics that are being remade in live action that's what that that's what the uh, other jungle book is made in that vein and it was very successful this is such a different direction and it's so hot off the heels off the last movie I think it's going to have real problems right and like the jungle book part of the reason it had such success with Disney is because it's a family friendly film you can take your kids to go see it 
This one doesn't seem so much that way, and you're expecting adults to pay the price of admission to go see a child go through some tough stuff, like, that we've already seen. So, like, this really is, I feel like, an example of, like, why it's best to be first to market. Um, before we move off this one, you did make the point earlier that this is, seems like one of those movies that, like, just comes in pairs. That happens right. every once in a while in Hollywood. And, and the quickest example, I think, to put you on the spot, is uh, The Prestige and The Illusionist came out right next to each other in like right. 2006? Five, yeah, 5, 6. Yeah. Um, I know there's others. I can't think of them. Well, I can tell you one that's coming up is there are two movies in production about Leonard Bernstein. He's a okay. famous conductor of the New York Philharmonic. Yeah. Uh, one starring Jake Gyllenhaal, and I can't remember who the other one is. But yeah, there's two biopics of... A, somewhat of you know famous american composer um but the i mean the movie hasn't been made about him yet and yet there's two coming out right around the same time yeah and i don't know why that happens in hollywood if i had to guess it's because studios catch wind of what somebody else is working on and they think oh we got to do that first i I don't know but it's unfortunate because i i feel like warner brothers is going to take a hit on this one and that's a bummer for andy circus because the guy does some really cool work and it sucks that like one of his first really big directorial projects is going to take a hit because of this. Um, it's a bummer. But, uh, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic. If we end up going to see it for this movie, I'm, if we end up going to see it for this podcast, I'm certainly more interested in that than I am like Happy Time Murders. So For sure. Yeah. And, and I think Andy Serkis probably has a lot of potential as a director. I forgot what his – because he's already uh, directed something. He's already made his debut – can't remember the name of that film saved my life uh but it got good reviews like it he i think has the potential to be a really solid director i just hope he really gets a good chance at it and this may not be it yeah no i agree but again cautiously optimistic so that wraps our trailer park segment for the week the last movie we need to talk about is hbo's fahrenheit 451 i want to know why we burn we are not born equal we must be made equal by the fire, and then we can be happy. Fahrenheit 451 is, of course, based on the Ray Bradbury novel that we probably all had to read in school. And if not, you probably, well, I doubt you read it on your own time, but more than likely you had to read it in <laughs> school. Andy, did you? Yes. I did as well. Yes. Fahrenheit 451, for those who don't know, is the story of, and I'll try to tweak this summary a little bit for the movie, but it's essentially a direct adaptation, plus or minus a couple creative differences. Uh, is the story of Guy Montag, a young firefighter in the in a dystopian future, I should say, uh, that lives in a world where books, film, and music are banned and burned if found by firefighters uh, under the direction of his uh, leader, which is or his uh, sergeant, captain, I guess, who captain, is Michael yeah. Shannon's Captain Beatty. Uh, he is instructed to burn everything he finds, and at some point he starts to wonder, well, why are we burning these things? Why not read them and see see what the you know what the whole hullabaloo is about? Which kind of ends leads to him ending up on this weird path, and that's kind of the setup for the movie. Uh, this movie clocks in at an hour forty. I know there was an adaptation of Fahrenheit four fifty one that was more direct of directly kind of book adaptation that came out in like the 60s and I don't remember how much longer that one was but I think it's about the same length probably it's not a long book it's not a long book and it doesn't I don't know if it needs to be a long movie and one of my concerns with it was that maybe it should be but to be 
fair before I turn it over to see what you thought. I struggled with this one. Like, I did. Uh, and I, I was very optimistic going into it. I thought, man, this looks really cool. And, and I guess part of my... Part of my hang-up was when I first saw a trailer for it. I was like, that's awesome. HBO miniseries, what they do best, this will be cool. And then I found out, no, it's a movie. It's not a miniseries, it's one movie. And it's like, okay, well, that that might hurt. Because um, HBO, I mean, they've shown they can take a property like Game of Thrones and stretch it into more seasons and more episodes and more content than there are books currently available. They can take something like Westworld, which was a movie, and they can turn it into a 10-part series. For Fahrenheit 451, that seemed like a layup. Take take these elements of this book and draw it out and kind of draw out that emotion and make it last and help us kind of understand and come to terms with what made Ray Bradbury's original work so great. Trying to do it in an hour 40 seems like you're kind of kneecapping yourself, and I feel like that's where the movie really struggled. What did you think? I mean, I thought there, there were some good things. You know, they definitely tried to update it to be more modern, fit in with modern times, things like, you know, we have the internet, we have social media. Um, there are some things that look good. There's some good looking scenes. It, the whole thing is dark. It's all like filmed it's at, at night. Yes. Um, but that the, you know, the firemen have these cool, like jet black uniforms and these really modern looking like houses and, and offices. They have this black fire truck. Um, but I, I remember, I don't remember the book particularly well, but I do know that its main message is, is about the suppression of knowledge and independent thought. And that never really got um, conveyed through the movie. I mean, I know that they, they, they just kind of said, oh, books are, are chaos and film and art. It's all chaos. We can't have it. But it, it never, I was never sold on it. Right. The movie attempts to do almost like a Shakespeare modernization, right? It's the same content, just in a different setting. And it's supposed to be this like new dystopian future that Ray Bradbury never could have imagined where the internet is this thing called the nines now. And people use social media to kind of comment and be a part of things. And the firefighters, uh, the members of Salamander 451, which I guess is the kind of firefighting troop, uh, are genuinely like social media stars. They are filmed and, and like put in, on live streams for people to watch and comment and use emojis. And while that's all very simple, like I can't help it. And again, it's been a while since I've read the book and, and I, it's been a while since I've read the book. And I think that's important to say, I kind of feel like that flies in the face of everything that, that Fahrenheit 451 is supposed to be. And maybe that's some, some kind of like, cool meta commentary on what Ray Bradbury meant and where we are now in society. But like, man, you can't have people literally burning reels of film while they're being live streamed to the internet for people to watch for their enjoyment. That's basically a movie. Like it doesn't make sense. Right. You can't have, you can't be burning books because that's text and language and that's people expressing opinions and live stream that while people are chatting about it in a, in a comment section. Like, that doesn't work. Like, that is the exact opposite of what you're trying to do. And maybe that's some kind of, like, meta message. But in an hour 40, this movie does not suss that out. It doesn't have time. It just kind of presents it to you and expects you to figure it out. And it does it in this weird, jilted format that I guess was supposed to be three acts, but I had trouble distinguishing when they transitioned from one to the other. I had a lot of trouble figuring out when characters develop, specifically Michael B. Jordan. I didn't, I, I couldn't figure out when he was being serious or when he was lying. And by the time I could, it was too late. He would be burning in one in, in one scene, uh, burning books, and in the next scene, reading a book. And it's like, wait, 
when did he take that? When did he make the decision to do this? It just felt jilted, and I felt like there was a lack of like character development there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, one of my big issues is that I don't remember the book particularly well, but it, I don't remember half the stuff that I saw in the movie happen happening in the book. It seems like they took a lot of cinematic liberties to try to update it, and I feel like we miss a lot of the message. You know, it was really funny in the film boards. Um, people were were saying, you know. This is exactly what Ray Bradbury was talking about. About you, you gave us a dumbed down, simplified version of his book, and that's exactly what his book is about. It's about the dumbing down of of knowledge, right? But it, it just like I kept running into like problems and plot points in the same way that like people ran into problems with like a quiet place because they they'd watch the movie and think, well, that doesn't make sense logically. How would that work in the world of the film? I know you shouldn't do that. Like you shouldn't get caught up in things like that. But when you, when you, man, when you build your whole movie around burning media so nobody can watch it, and you live stream it on social media, like it, 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 it doesn't work. Like I, I, there, there's a scene in this where where Michael B. Jordan's character is given a harmonica, and he blows into it and it makes a sound, and it's like, oh wow, music. I've never, I, I've never used something that like can produce music before, and it bugs me because if you wrap your knuckles on a table, you have a drum sound. You're already on your way to a beat. Like, m- music is everywhere. Film is everywhere. Art is everywhere. Like, text is everywhere, and the society is still completely saturated with this stuff. So the idea of like burning books and burning music and burning movies. To make a point, like, doesn't work, which I guess is why Michael B. Jordan's character guy starts to question it, but that's not self-evident. Like, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. And by the time I, I, I come around to asking these questions full stop, the movie's over. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I, I just, I, I didn't get it, I guess. Um, what did you think about, I, I presume, and I could have this wrong, I think the ending is different in the movie than it is in the book. Yeah, I, I think completely. Yeah, I, I recall the book ending in a different way. Did you have any thoughts on that? On on the on that because that's a big change. Again, I mean, I th- I think it ends up missing the point because uh, both uh, Guy Montag and um, Captain Beatty they both begin to question, you know, what they're what they're doing, why they're doing it. Uh, you know, we see these scenes where, uh, you know, pen and paper is illegal apparently, and but Captain Beatty has a secret pen and he has this really thin cigarette paper that he writes on but then burns like right away so you kind of you get a little bit of that struggle of them not completely drinking the kool-aid um, but it just never really goes anywhere and it's a shame because michael shannon's such a, a brilliant actor and you know he does so much with what he's given and he de- you know delivers his lines really good and he's he's a he's a big guy so he towers over you and talks down to you but there's i mean he, i think he did a really great job with a really poor script yeah, I couldn't help but com- keep comparing this movie to, like, The Shape of Water, which I shouldn't do because it's an Academy Award-winning film. Uh, this is an HBO movie. Uh, but um, I-, I-, I compare it because of the atmosphere, because of Michael Shannon, because you get this very unique look at the world, almost kind of like Blade Runner, um, very neon and dark and, like, lots of bright reds and blues and... 
you get Michael Shannon being this kind of looming dark character in this dark world. And like, I couldn't help but think of shape of water and like how well he just trounces through scenes. I mean, like he, he sometimes he's all, he's all you can look at and this movie. He's that way too, but it just doesn't have the same punch. And it, it, like, it's so palpable. Like you can tell there should have been more done with it to, to specifically name the director. His name is, and I'm going to butcher, butcher this, Raman Barani, who yeah. di- before this directed 99 Homes, starring Michael Shannon and Andrew Garfield, which I didn't see. Which I heard was actually really good. Yeah, me too. Um, but I guess I need to go back and watch that and see if maybe this is if this is an evolution of what he's doing or maybe a, a lateral step or a step backwards even, because it just felt like it missed the mark in a really weird way. It it just felt so such low budget to me because like they do have this cool black fire truck that they ride around on, but you can tell it's the only one and you can tell there's only like, <laughs> you know, you don't feel like they got a fleet of these things. Yeah. Uh, and there's, you know, they have these big buildings that they project stuff off that is totally ripped off from Blade Runner. Totally. Um, and it's, it just looks cheap. It doesn't look, it's not convincing. Yeah, there's definitely scenes in here where I felt like, oh, what are you filming this on the back lot? Yeah, like what, you just grab Michael, <laughs> you grab Michael B. Jordan on his way off of uh, the Black Panther set. Like, oh, hey, come over and film this real quick. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Like, just really kind of jilted and like, it, it's tough. Like, I, I want to say this movie's worth your time, um, but I'm, I'm having trouble reaching that conclusion. Um so, Andy, I guess I don't have much more to say about it. Me neither. Would you recommend Fahrenheit 451? No, I don't think I would. <laughs> Even if you, I mean, because we talk about bold cinema, bold, uh, especially science fiction. Yeah. Um, which is what this is supposed to be. I mean, this is a groundbreaking novel. This novel's from 1951, and I think was supposed to be like a criticism of, you know, World War II and the Third Reich and kind of how, you know, Nazi propaganda suppressed knowledge and thought and independent thought. And that's why it was so groundbreaking. Um, and this is just, it, it feels like a long episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. Which is uh, what I read somewhere. <laughs> I I struggle to recommend this as well. I, I would recommend this on the caveat that you are a big Fahrenheit 451 fan or a big dystopian sci-fi fan. Because some of the settings are unique. It's got some kind of cool visuals. But for the most part, like... It's kind of a path. Or if you're like a real big book fan, if you love books to freaking death, then uh, one, I'm not sure why you're listening to this podcast. And two, uh, <laughs> yeah, like maybe. Because there's definitely a lot of cool novel-related stuff in here. There's a lot of like Dostoevsky and, and, and other cool authors they kind of like reference and like lines from like Aldous Huxley. And like they, they do kind of a great job of pulling in different sources from different novels. Um, and that's cool. Like, I, I enjoyed a lot of that. They did their homework that way. But, yeah, at the end of the day, like, no, pass. Like, there's not, <laughs> it's not an incredible performance by Michael B. Jordan or Michael Shannon here, who kind of the two stars. The CGI is not even really that awesome. Like, it's, I don't know, pass well, for me, I guess. Yeah. It makes me want to go read the novel, but not like in a good way. More, <laughs> more like just like I want to know what was actually in the book because th- all this seems like a dumpster fire. Yeah, honestly, no yeah. pun intended. It, it it gets me more excited to read the book just to see. Okay, what what exactly were they trying to get at here? And if you haven't read the book, I think you're especially going to be confused. Um, so watch out for Fahrenheit 451, I guess. 
That about wraps our show. I can't believe we're at under an hour. Normally we go over, but I guess it's fine. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the big release of the summer. Probably not as big as Avengers, but we'll just have to see. Solo, a Star Wars story. And on streaming, we're going to be checking out Cargo on Netflix, starring Martin Freeman. And that's about all I know about it. I, I know it's kind of a post-apocalyptic uh, Post-apocalyptic, thing, yeah. yeah. Based on a short film which I think is on Vimeo, and you can just watch. Uh, So if you're curious, go check that out. Otherwise, check it out on Netflix and see what we think. If you want to get involved with the show, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Comment on Facebook. Like us on Twitter. Follow where applicable. Rate and review on iTunes. Do what (laughs) you can, and we appreciate it. Also, check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. I think there's a spot for correspondence in there, right? You can leave a thing or something. Yeah, you can do... So I don't know. There's there's things you can do to get involved with the show, and we will talk about it on the air. So, real quick, yeah. real quick before uh, before we finish up, how do you feel about Solo: A Star Wars Story? I want to get this on the record before oh uh, before we see it. All right. Uh, here's my thing with Solo: A Star Wars Story. We Solo: A Star Wars Story. There it is. We've been talking about this movie for a while. Like there there were rumors coming out from Variety months ago saying Solo: A Star Wars Story is in a bad spot. Uh, and and they were saying test audiences are having trouble. Uh, people didn't like... Uh, Ron, Ron Howard had to come in halfway. Yeah, Alden Ehrenreich's interpretation. The big one, Ron Ron Howard had to come in halfway through and take over the movie from Phil Lord and, and, and Chris Miller, uh, who had previously directed the Lego movie. They brought in a drama director, a veteran drama director, to pick up where two up-and-coming comedy directors had left off. So it seems a little all over the place. And like the first trailer I saw didn't get me too stoked for it. But honestly, a few weeks ago, I was sitting in a theater watching something and they ran the new trailer that I hadn't seen yet and sitting in a theater watching the trailer. Got a little excited. A little bit of a spark of something. <laughs> kind of got going a little bit. Uh, and, and for some reason, I'm cautiously optimistic. I know I've said that about a few movies on on, on today's show, but... Yeah, something about it has got my interest. And I haven't bought a ticket. I'm not going to go see it Thursday night or anything. Um, I'm going to try to go see it when there's hopefully not a lot of people around. Um, but for what it's worth, like, I don't know. It, it, could, it could be a cool, fun romp. Like, why not, right? Like, what's what's stopping me from enjoying it? I, I think in order to have fun with it, I need to understand that it is not going to be uh, Harrison Ford's Han Solo. It is not going to be... Carl Weathers, Lando Calrissian, like it's going to be a new take on these old characters. And in that way, I'm looking forward to it. Do you mean Billy D. Williams? What do you think? What do you, how do you think solo <laughs> Star Wars story is going to be? It's, it's got me really excited, actually. You know, I was pretty skeptical too. Um, and I know that Rogue One also had uh, a lot of issues as well. And that, you know, that turned out, uh, well, I like that at least. I know you call it Rage One. <laughs> Rage One. <laughs> Um, it's got me stoked. I, like I said, I have started to become more excited about the non-Jedi stories than the Jedi stories. There's there's almost too much lore and mythology that people obsess over, and you can't get it right. And it's I, I'll be thankful when we move on past Episode Nine. But the, you know, the non-Jedi stuff, you get new characters. It's a little bit more grounded because you don't have like the Force powers and lightsabers. So. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Amelia Clark's in it. She looks cool. Woody Harrelson. Yeah, 
I'm I'm stoked. Somebody besides Peter Mayhew playing Chewbacca. Yeah. Weird. I, I didn't know that until I saw an interview on Facebook like yesterday or something. I was like, oh god, who's that? Oh guy? yeah. I mean, he can he can't really walk these days. I mean, he has a cane and he's yeah. He's old and he's seven foot tall. Like, is he not playing him in the the new trilogy? No. Oh really? That's somebody yeah. else. Yeah. <laughs> I would not have known that. All right. Well, th- yeah. today I learned. He's got bad knees. Yeah. Seven feet tall, man. <laughs> seven feet tall. Man. He's got bad knees. Probably still does the voice, right? No. Really? Oh, my so. God. Okay. Well, the, you know, what, what, good Lord. And the voice isn't that hard, man. Come on. I can't do it. Whatever. It's fine. Anyway, uh, to get involved with the show, rate, review, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Let us know what you think of Solo. Let us know what you thought of the movies we talked about today, Deadpool 2 and Fahrenheit 451. Let us know we should go back and read the book. Go back and watch Deadpool 1. I don't know. Uh, get involved with the show, though. We would love for you to be a part of it. Check us out at offscriptfilmreview.com. For Off Script, episode 22, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Off Script, the home of bold cinema. I don't want to forget that. Thanks for listening.